This Sunday, we find ourselves in ordinary time, in a period in the church calendar after the wind and the fire of Pentecost has slept through the community, calling together and breathing God's Holy Spirit. And in this ordinary time, we are not yet to the time of preparation and excitement of Advent as we again wait for Christ to come in our midst. We are living in the in-between time. I always found it a bit ironic, or maybe just fitting, that ordinary time always falls in the summer on the church calendar. This season where we relish the ordinary, slowing down, the way that the sun comes in the kitchen window, in the morning calling each of us to a new day, or the sound of laughter and the smell of grass as children play outside, relishing those few extra hours of light. There is something so incredibly beautiful about this ordinary time, something extraordinary even. This Sunday, we will read in a moment an apocryphal text meaning that it was canonized by the Catholic Church, but has been left out of most Protestant Bibles. It's a text that some may think to be a little more ordinary than the ones found within our scripture, but it's a text that has survived because of its extraordinary message. Attributed to King Solomon, it was written in Alexandria, Egypt. This text combines both knowledge of the Hebrew tradition and the Greek Hellenistic influences. It asked the question, how do we live into our Jewish identity in this Greek world? And really, this book calls to task the ruling class of that time, urging them to love righteousness and seek wisdom that life must be more than selfishly enjoying the moments of our lives while blinding ourselves to larger systems of injustice, but that we must see God's desire, God's dream for gener generation and creation, for incorporation and communion, for righteousness and love. The wisdom of Solomon is written to persuade and falls into a genre of literature known as extraordinary discourses. Extraordinary discourses in an ordinary time. As we look at our world though, it doesn't feel like things are quite so ordinary. And so maybe this text fits perfectly this Sunday. An extraordinary discourse for an extraordinary time. God did not make death, and he does not delight in the death of the living. For he created all things so that they might exist. The generative forces of the world are wholesome, and there is no destructive poison in them. And the dominion of Hades is not on earth. For righteousness is immortal, for God created us for incorruption and made us in the image of his own eternity. 
hear what the Spirit is saying to the church. Amen. Amen. Would you please pray with me? Lord, may the words of my mouth and the meditations, the hopes and dreams of all of our hearts be glorified in your sight. For you, O God, are our rock and our redeemer. Amen. Last week, I visited a dear friend and her wife who just gave birth to two twins. And as I held one of their little ones in my arms for hours last week, I began to dream. Her feet, so little and tiny now, will one day squish in the mud and her toes will curl in the sand. Her little feet will walk her around the halls of her school and she will learn of who she is and she will learn of this world. Her little feet will run and they will dance and they will kick. They may wear high heels one day or Birkenstocks or both. And I dream about all that life will hold for this little one. The heartache and the joy. And I wonder if that's what part of parenting is. Dreaming big and small of the untold stories that yet wait. In 1 Kings, we read about Solomon, the son of the infamous David and Bathsheba, who became king at the young age of 15. Solomon was known for many things. He had a relatively peaceful reign. He was the builder of the first temple of God's place here on earth. He was a faithful man. But we read in Kings, when Solomon was just starting out, it is said that God came to Solomon in a dream. And God asked Solomon what he could provide. And I wonder if God appeared to any of us in a dream and asked what we wanted, asked what our deepest desires were, if like a genie from a bottle, we got one wish, I wonder if we would be like Solomon who at 15 did not ask God for wealth. There's no request of money or power or the newest, latest edition of a chariot that he wanted. There wasn't even a desire to be popular or liked or loved. But at 15, Solomon had the wisdom to ask for just that, for wisdom. And it's written that God was so impressed with Solomon, with his selflessness, that God granted this wish. Though I wonder if maybe in asking, Solomon had that wisdom all along to begin with. Regardless, Solomon's wisdom is something that we still hold on to this day. And as Lynn just read for us his wisdom this morning, wisdom born from a dream, wisdom that maybe is a dream in itself too. We read of a God who does not delight in death, but a God that creates and generates, a God that is about building up rather than tearing down, a God that knits together rather than pulling apart. A God that is of communion and incorruption and incorporation. A God whose image we are all made of and in. 
a God who dreams of another way for our world to exist. For we too are made of and for these things. And I wonder what would happen, what would change if we let ourselves truly dream as God does for that world. I wonder what would happen if we truly let ourselves imagine who we could be in that world. I wonder how we would change, and I wonder how the world would be transformed. Our faith is filled, as my father likes to remind me, our faith is filled with hopeless optimistics and foolish dreamers who knew of the God that creates and generates, who knew of our God of communion and incorruption and incorporation, of the God that binds and tethers together in love. And we too are called to dream as God does. For God loves dreamers. As Solomon's dreams gave wisdom, Jacob's dreams led him to safety. They saved him and his wife and his little son, Emmanuel, God with us, guiding them from the promised land back to Egypt, seeking refuge and safety in the face of a tyrannical leader, Herod. As Moses dreamed of a promised land, kept feet moving, and inspired an entire people to move from slavery to freedom, as Mary's dream with an angel gave her the strength she needed to break systems that strove to control women and their bodies, as she carried within her a little one who had changed the world, we come from a tradition of dreamers. And then there's the ultimate dreamer, a carpenter's son who, as one of my good pastor friends reminds me, was born in the barrio of Bethlehem and lived in the ghetto of Galilee, where nothing good was ever expected to have come from. But God did. God came. And God dreamed, and Jesus dreamed, and believed, and hoped, and knew that our God is a God that creates and generates. Our God is a God of communion and incorporation. Our God is a God that binds and tethers together in love. So let us also be dreamers within our own lives. Let us dream of a world where we can rock, walk courageously with our scars as well as with our wounds of depression and anxiety, our wounds of broken homes and broken hearts, where chairs sit empty at tables and we feel walls take up around our very hearts. As names become hard to speak, let us walk as dreamers with our wounds that we have tried to fill with bottles and pills. Let us not pretend, for we no longer have the energy or the time for that. Let us own our brokenness and our belovedness, trusting that God is there holding us and loving us. And in our vulnerability and in our honesty, we can find true community. Let us be dreamers 
of that world. Let us be dreamers of our world. Last week, I was chatting with a friend of mine who used to work in the National Archives in Washington, D.C. He shared that the famous documents that were used in the founding of our nation are actually put to bed every night. I loved this idea of documents being tucked in as snug as a bug in a rug, read bedtime stories so that they too can dream. But it's not that Rockefellian. They're actually lowered down into chambers below their display cases that regulate all conditions. They regulate temperature and humidity and light in attempts to preserve the papers upon which a nation was made. What I did not know is that the Declaration of Independence and the Constitution, though created around the same time, are in dramatically different conditions. The Declaration has stains, it has watermarks and greasy fingerprints on it. It was brought out time and again as early forefathers would point to and remind them of the hopes and the dreams upon which our country was built. The Constitution, on the other hand, is relatively pristine in its condition, having been kept away and comparatively forgotten. And I cannot help but wonder for us today, what are the things that we take out? Time and again, what are the things that we point to and put our tears on and our greasy fingerprints? What is it that we cling cling to when all hope seems to be lost or our ideals seem foolish to remind us, to encourage us and inspire us, to help us dream of a different world and keep the nightmare of the what-ifs at bay? or maybe the what ours. Let us be dreamers who know of the God that creates and generates, for our God is a God of communion and incorporation, not a God of separation and isolation, of the God that binds and tethers together in love, and who dreams of a world that does the same. And that's why I come here to this place, to this sanctuary. And maybe that's why you come here too, to bear our brokenness and know that we are not alone and that we are beloved, to speak out and to speak up for God's world where justice can roll down like water and righteousness an ever-flowing stream, because as Solomon writes, justice is immortal. Where we are free to hope and to dare and to dream, as Solomon's wisdom, as Moses' movement from slavery to liberation, as Mary's courage for justice and Joseph's desire for safety and refuge, As Jesus dreamed, may we too dream of a world for the least and the last, those in our world and those in our homes and those in our hearts. Let us dream, for we come from a great line of dreamers, dreamers who gathered at this table, 
at this communion table, a symbol of the great dream, where all are welcome with all of our faith and with all of our doubt, where all are welcome regardless of what you have done and regardless of what you have left undone, regardless of your race or your gender or your nationality, all are welcome at the table of God's love. Where God's grace is poured and pours out abundant, and where we mark that each and every one of us is loved and seen, and we are fed to do God's work in the world. May we be dreamers of that kingdom. May it be so for me, and may it be so for each of you. Amen.